0: All right, Uh, is this thing, there we go, yeah. Okay, Uh, welcome. Um, Okay, so as you guys can see, today we'll be talking about the power of unity to go along with our As One theme. So last night we talked about the purpose of unity, and today we'll be talking about the power of unity. Um, To begin, I want to tell you guys that I was, I had the great honor and privilege of being born in the state of Kentucky. So, thank you. I know, I know. Yeah, it wasn't, I didn't do anything, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my doing, so. Um, anyways, uh, I was born in Kentucky, and, uh, and I, I lived on a five-acre uh, plot of land, and we had a huge house. Uh, we had about 400 grapevines, and uh, past our property was about 250 acres of unclaimed land. So this was like um, land that the government owned, but no one really did anything with it. So as a kid i would just go like running around and like there's creeks back there and i'd find crawdads and all that stuff and we had like there's just uh, one farmer that had just like tons of hay bales and and then we'd like go run on them and stuff like that um we'd sleep outside like watch the stars and all that all that jazz so it was really fun um when i was 11 i moved to california um so i moved to san diego uh the town i grew up in kentucky was about i don't know 10,000 people uh, i wasn't Let's see, I think I was eight years old when we got our first movie theater, and, uh, and when, when I moved, they had just, they had just uh, brought Applebee's to town, and it was like the thing to do. <laughs> Everybody was really excited for the Applebee's. Um, sadly, I didn't really get to partake too much, but um, anyways, moving to San Diego was, was pretty different. So I moved in the uh, second semester of sixth grade, um, and... So I had, a, I had a decent amount of time growing up in Kentucky. Like I would definitely say my roots are country roots. Um, and so moving to San Diego was quite a culture shock uh, just because, you know, in Kentucky, frankly, I think I knew one person whose parents were divorced out of like all of our middle school. Um, you know, pretty much everybody was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I mean, that's just how it is, you know? Uh, and then moving to San Diego, yeah, you meet a few of those, but like my fir- the first uh, friend I, I made, Warren Bender, who's still a great friend of mine today, uh, he's Jewish and he's actually from South Africa, so it was it was really I mean it, it wasn't like a what the heck you know but it was it was just a weird transition, and uh, and as I as I grew up like as I kind of you know started learning more and more about California, I love it by the way, so you know don't I'm not you know definitely a California guy now. Uh, But I I realized that like some of the values and and some of like the the morals were, I don't know, they're they're totally different. You know, like the the way of life, I mean, and this is obvious, you know, the way of life from Kentucky to California is totally different. Um, Back in Kentucky, you know, like there's just, everybody's just like a, you know, good old folks, you know, like you, maybe it's because there's 10,000 people in the town, but you know everybody, you know, like you go to Piggly Wiggly and you see like five people from church, you know? you go to, you know, in California, like, you don't say hi to anybody at the grocery store because, you know, you just go there, get the groceries, and you leave. You know, it's just a totally different attitude. And I'm not saying one's better than the other because we all obviously know that Kentucky is better than California. So we won't argue that. <laughs> but, um, but I, yeah, I, I really appreciate, I don't know, I really appreciate the values that, that were instilled in me in Kentucky. Um, you know, just the, the open air, the open attitude, just the, I don't know, kind of slow lifestyle. Um, One of my favorites, though, is actually Kentucky's state motto. And it fits very well with this weekend. So the state motto of Kentucky, and one of my favorite values, is this. United we stand, divided we fall. Pretty applicable for this weekend. So united we stand, divided we fall. Now, I would be remiss as a speaker if I did not start providing you guys with some examples. right? that's pretty much what speaking is all about, like you kind of try and couch things in examples so you can explain to people. I mean, that's how Christ spoke, right, in parables. So one of the best examples that I can, that I can think of, and I mean, there's tons out there. You know, you guys will, one of the questions is, is, uh, gonna ask, uh, that we're going to have for discussion is asking you guys to come up with examples of unity, of the power of unity. But one of my favorite examples, and I'm sure you guys, or I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen the movie, is uh, the Spartans. So there it is. 300. No, if I didn't know you were on a movie poster, you look look pretty good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Anyways, so the Spartans, the Spartans fought in what is called a phalanx. Okay. So this is a, this is a military formation that is no longer used just because of the different technologies and stuff like that. Um, It's essentially what it is, is it's it's rows of men, you know, like four to 50 deep, all right, side by side, all right, and they fight as a unit, all right, and I don't know if you guys remember the movie, but in the movie 300, there was a hunchback named Ephialtes, all right, and Ephialtes was descended from a Spartan, all right, but his mother had taken him away, because as, as babies, the, uh, the Spartan, Spartan babies are inspected, and if they're not if they're not deemed suitable, they're tossed out, pretty much. Um, and being a hunchback, being a, a cripple, Ephialtes, he was going to die if, he, if his mother didn't smuggle him out. So his mother smuggled him out, right? And, uh, and his father was a Spartan peer, so he had, this, he had the cloak, he had the shield, he had all that stuff, right? So as Leonidas and his brave 300 are tramping off to Thermopylae to stop the Persian invasion, Ephialtes is shadowing them. And eventually he gets a chance to kind of sneak up on Leonidas and say, hey, I want to help you guys. Like, I want to fight. Um, and he, sh- he shows Leonidas how he can, how, how good he is with a spear. And Leonidas compliments him. And he says, he says, if Fialtes, I need you to do something for me. He says, I need you to lift your shield. Now, Ifealtes is, you know, he's like hunched over like this. He's got this huge you know, tumor or something. Anyways, so he, he's got his, uh, the Spartans held their shield in the, in the left. And then they would fight with the right either a sword or the spear. And so Ephialtes is down here like this and, and Leonidas is standing next to him and he asks Ephialtes to raise his shield as high as he can. All right, and so Ephialtes is down there and he's, and he's struggling as, as hard as he can, but he can't raise it higher than, I don't know, say like Leonidas' torso. And Leonidas says, listen, he's like, I appreciate your effort, you know, I appreciate you coming out here, introducing yourself, like, like, I I would love for you to help, and you can, you can help, you can, you can help with the wounded, you can, you can bring water to the soldiers, and Ephialti is furious, he's like, what, like, why can't I help, why can't I fight with you guys, I, I can handle a spear, but Leonidas explains, he says, listen, the phalanx, the way it works is because each person covers the man to the left, so the Spartan shields were so large, that they covered from knee to, essentially, essentially from the knee to the shoulder, right? And the Spartan on the right would shield the Spartan on the left, right? So it's just an interlocking shield. So when someone came up to fight them, all they'd get is the shield. Obviously, you know, like you cut the legs and stuff like that. But that's the point. You know, Leonidas says, look, you, you can't fit in the phalanx because you can't you can't work with it you, you can't unite with us because you're not you're not capable you know like it, as sad as it is like you just don't have the capability because you can't raise your shield high enough to protect the Spartan on your left and that's the most important part of the phalanx is protecting the Spartan on the left it's not about the individual person it's about the person on the left right? united as one now this phalanx was 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 a scary sight right the Spartans would, uh, it was interesting actually, if you, uh, if you study some of like the Greek military history and stuff like that, um, nowadays it's, we pretty much just fight wherever we want, you know? But the way that the, the Greek city-states often fought was they would find a, they would go, <laughs> they would go out and find a plane suitable for fighting and then they would just beat there. Like they wouldn't fight in mountains, they wouldn't fight all that stuff, right? They would like find a place like, hey, this looks like a good place to fight, let's fight here, you know? And so, so they would line up all right, phalanx to phalanx, and then they would start charging one another. And the great thing about the Spartans was they were professional soldiers. They were the first, well, people say they were like the first professional soldiers in the world, right? They lived, they breathe, they ate weaponry. They, they lived, they breathe, they ate military, all right? Now, compared to, say, um, I don't know, like the Athenians or the Thebans or something like that, you know, the Spartans they spent their entire time devoting themselves to the military, right? And because of that, because of that, because of their training, because of how, how intensive it was, they were united, you know? And, and they trusted the man on their right to cover them. And so when, so when the Spartan phalanx would advance and they'd be singing their war songs to Ares, it would freak people out because they couldn't trust the person on their left. They couldn't trust the person, they couldn't trust anybody, you know? Because the Spartans would advance as a unit and they start as like a slow trot and then eventually speed up a little bit. And then they would just, boom, hit whatever was left of the enemy troops because by the time the Spartans usually hit the enemy troops line, half the line was gone because they were so afraid of the unity of the Spartans. right? And because of that, because of that power, because of that intensive training, because of, of the time they spent together, and because of the wholehearted devotion to the Spartan ideal, the Spartans were powerful. They were united, and, and because of that, they could stand. Everybody else started thinking of one like, started thinking of number one, and they, they left. Because divided they fell. So the question we're going to ask today is, where does unity derive its power? All right, where does unity derive its power? Because we're talking about the power of unity. right? And so the obvious question is, where does unity derive its power? Now, this could be a simple, simple answer. You could just say, well, hey, I know that. Power in numbers, right? That's easy. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes. I'll put it up here. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. Um, if you are unsure where that is, find Psalms, which is a pretty big book in the middle of the Old Testament, and then turn to the right. You hit Proverbs, and then you hit Ecclesiastes. Don't go too far, because then you'll get the Song of Solomon, and that's just some good stuff right there. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys don't have your Bibles, just read off the board. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. So this is what Solomon says. Uh, He says again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man bit of the fool, who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. All right. So again, this is pretty simple, basic stuff, right? Everyone knows that a pair beats a high card, right? Everyone knows that two are better than one. Right, the classic example: two heads are better than one. Looks like they stole it from Solomon, you know. So I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't groundbreaking stuff. We we know that if you know if someone falls down, it's easy for someone to help them up, you know. Like it's we need other people, right? So if you ask the question, "Where does unity derive its power?" the basic, simple answer is that power in numbers. Boom, there you go, power in numbers. Now, if that was all that we had to talk about, I don't think we'd really get very far because I don't think that's it. It is a simple, it's a basic answer. And yes, it can can work in some situations, but frankly, it doesn't always work. Think about, uh, let's go back to the Spartans, right? Think about the battle of Thermopylae. So even though the Spartans and the other Greeks that fought with them even though they were annihilated at Thermopylae, they, like, technically you could argue that the Spartans won that battle, right? You could argue that they defeated the Persians. Even though the Persians had, well, people say a million, others say 100,000. I mean, even though they were vastly outnumbered, you know, the Persians did not win the battle, right? And, and, and I know this. Sometimes, sometimes just power and numbers doesn't work. Power in numbers does not lead to the result that you, want, that you wish to accomplish. So just like Greg, when I was in high school, and even now when I'm driving, I have problems swearing. Um, and when I remember going back to Kentucky, I actually, when I was a kid, I, uh, I was, I don't know, I think I must have been like nine years old, I was taking out the trash. <laughs> and I, I just remember thinking to myself, you know what, I just want to say the F word right now. <laughs> And I just said it. I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> Threw the trash away <laughs> and then went back inside. And that was my first experience of swearing, All right, And it devolved from there. So when I was in high school, uh, you know, just like Greg was saying, you know, trying to fit in and stuff, I, I started swearing. So I played sports. So I played water polo. I played, I swam. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that, the water polo atmosphere is not really conducive to a, a, a Christian life, um, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Um any any of you guys who have played it would know that. Um anyway, so you know, i was trying to fit in and stuff and um but I realized, you know, like I mean, wh- why do, why do I need to swear? You know what? Like I I read a lot. I'm I'm a rather intelligent individual, like surely I can come up with a better word. <laughs> you know, <or laughs> like a better way to express myself. <laughs> Gosh, darn it, you know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna stop swearing. And so I, I told my friends, like, okay, guys, listen, I need you to keep me accountable, all right? I need you to help me stop swearing. So if, you, if I swear, just punch me, all right? So I, for a while there, it was like the cool thing to do, right? Because <laughs> I, I swore often. <laughs> and so I, I'd get punched a lot. And all my friends thought it was awesome. Um, so I, you know, I was getting punched and stuff like that. But I, I really wasn't, I don't know, I didn't really stop swearing because my, my friends would swear, you know and and so even though they were punching me for swearing I, I didn't really get to reciprocate um, just because they didn't agree to it so you know I was I was getting beat on but I, I wasn't really learning my lesson you know I, I, nothing was happening um, and so so even though we were we were kind of united in trying to get me not to swear right like it, it wasn't effective like there wasn't there wasn't a, uh, I I don't know there wasn't like a, a perfect spirit or something like that you know and and that's what I want to talk about next, is, is the perfect spirit. Because going back to the Spartans, you know, and, and this may be like kind of contradicting what I said earlier, you know, but they, they were able to, they were able to defeat the Greeks, right? But they, they did lose. I mean, they, they all died. You yeah. know. Yeah. But, so, not to be like depressing or anything. So they, you know, they, they all died and stuff. You know, they but the reason they fought so well is because, like I said, like they were wholeheartedly devoted to the Spartan ideal. They were of one mind, right? And so the phalanx could move as one unit, right? Because they all knew what each one was going to do, right? It was like some big symbiotic bacteria that's moving around, right? But the great thing, the great thing about being a Christian is that we don't have to simply rely on power in numbers, right? Right? We don't just have to rely on, hey, two heads are better than one, because we don't simply have one mind, we have one spirit, and spirit with a capital S. So, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, 7, no, no, hold on, there we go, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And if you don't know where that is, uh, look at your table of contents, I'm just kidding. Matthew, then turn right. Eventually you get to all these letters and stuff. You'll find it. So Galatians, Ephesians. There you go. Okay. Again, the idea is that as Christians, we simply don't rely on power in numbers, right? Because we have Christ. We have one spirit. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus Remember back to Kentucky State motto. United we stand, divided we fall. All right? United. Oh, just not what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. I guess it's not working. I won't use this. You guys can read, right? Okay, stand and stand. All right? United we stand, divided we fall. United with Christ, we can stand against the devil's schemes. All right? But divided when we don't spend time with God, like Greg was saying last night, you know, when we don't spend time with God, we're gonna fall because we are not united with Christ. We, are not, we don't have that one spirit uniting us, all right? So this, this passage actually answers a couple questions for us. So it answers, it answers the question of where does unity derive its power? So again, we talked about power in numbers, right? But even more so, unity derived its power from Christ, right? As Christians, we need Christ. It'd be kind of pointless, if we didn't have Christ, we'd just be like Eans. So, we need to be united with Christ. So that answers one question. Where does unity derive its power? From Christ, from our unity with Christ. And again, the Spartans were united in one mind, hey, we got one spirit, it's better than minds. The second question that this answers, and this is kind of going off uh, Greg's talk, um, Why must we be united with Christ, right? What is the purpose of unity, all right? Well, it's right there. It says, put on the full armor of God. Be united with Christ so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I I love this passage because it kind of speaks to the, I'm a big fan of heroes. And so it speaks to that like heroic spirit inside of me, like, you know, King Arthur, Lancelot, like, I don't know, D'Artagnan, um, all those guys, you know, any and every hero I'm a big fan of. And, and I love this because like when it, it says, it says, put on the floor, be united with Christ so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And this is after you've done everything to stand. So it's like, look, after you're, after you're tired, after you've been wounded, all of that, it's like, don't, don't just run away because you are united with Christ and there's power there. And so you can simply stand your ground. Because nothing, nothing can resist that. Now, 1 John, 1 John 5 talks about how this world is controlled by the evil one. All right? So we face, as Christians, we face a power that is trying to undermine us. Right? We face, uh, we face rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. right, so we face some pretty nasty stuff. And I'm sure you guys have experienced it before. Um, Actually, one of the classic things I see is, uh, or at least in my life, is actually like the day or two before retreat. And I start thinking, you know, I really don't want to go. I could do other stuff. You know, there's just this like little voice inside my head just saying, hey, you should just stay home, rest, you know, just relax. And I find that happens a lot, you know. And I feel, I just, But I I know it's just Satan trying to, hey, don't go on retreat or or don't do this, you know? But if I'm united with Christ, I can stand, I I can fight against that, right? Because even though 1 John 5 says, hey, listen, the world is in control of the evil one, it also promises that we can overcome that because the one who is in us, Christ, the one that we're united with, has overcome the world. So the power that we get is not ours, All right, the power comes from Christ because he is powerful and he has overcome the world. All right, so unity with Christ. Okay, so we talked about two things. We talked about power in numbers and then we talked about unity with Christ, okay? Because even though I kind of bashed on power of numbers and said like, hey, it's like not as cool as unity with Christ, we we still need to have fellowship. We still, it's still important to be as one. Now, last scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Just after Ephesians, turn right. Keep going. So Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, nope, oh, there it is. All right. So to, to give you some context, so Hebrews, this is, this is the first four verses in chapter 12. So Hebrews 11, if you guys have never read it, it's obviously one of my favorite <laughs> Uh, passages because hey it's all about heroes, so read Hebrews eleven. You know talks about the heroes of the faith. Okay, so when so when the author of Hebrews is talking about these witnesses, think of the heroes of the faith, or simply think of the people around you. So this is what the author of Hebrews says: Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory set before him, or for, who for the uh, joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? There is power in numbers, right? We have people cheering us on. We have people that have come before us, the ancients, the, our moms and dads, like people around us, You know that, that have walked this path before, that have followed Christ for years on end, right? And that is our great cloud of witnesses. And so we can take, we can take power from that because they're cheering us on. They're saying, hey, keep going. Fight the good fight. But the problem can be is when we have heroes, when we have mentors, we can start fixing our eyes on them, right, and when that happens, we start to veer off. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to fix your eyes on on a great mentor or, you know, like a a spiritual hero. Like, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, and so (laughs) it's not exactly a bad thing to, like, pretty much just read all his books and, like, learn all about him and stuff like that. Um, he's awesome. Um, so anyways, uh, but the problem is, is that when we do that, when, say I fix my eyes on C.S. Lewis, right? I would, I would actually start veering off from Christ. C.S. Lewis is not a bad person. He's pretty awesome, all right? But he's not the best, right? We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So yes, there's power in numbers. Yes, we are supposed to be unified with our fellow believers, right? And with the anxious that have come before us. But initially, the most basic thing that we have to do is what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, right? So again, we're talking about two things here, right? Unity as believers, power in numbers, but more importantly, unity with Christ because that is where we derive our true power. Now, remember what Greg said last night when he was talking about when you go to church, what do you do? Do you, do you take or do you pour into people? And he said, listen, the only person that you should take from is Christ. You should pour into others. And the only way that we can do that is if we fix our eyes on Jesus. Because as, as, because as soon as we start veering off to C.S. Lewis or, or Thomas Akimpis or or Eric Waterbury or something like that, we start taking from them. You know, and we take and we take and we take and eventually we take everything. And then then we lose ourselves, And we don't know, we don't know who we are, we don't know what we believe in because when that person is taken away, when our mentor or when something like that is taken away, our foundation is broken because we have not founded our life, founded our faith, founded our beliefs in Christ. All right, so that is why it's so important to remember what Greg said, is to always pour into people, but to take from Christ. Now, I spoke about C.S. Lewis, again, big fan. In his book, Mere Christianity, he uses an example about a fleet of ships, right? And he says, consider, consider, uh, consider a group of people, right? Consider a group of Christians, right? Each one is a battleship in formation, right? So they have a purpose, right? They're going somewhere, they have a vision, they're going to, I don't know, going to fight a war in the Arabian Sea or something, right? But each individual person is a battleship. So each individual person is responsible for maintaining that battleship. Now what happens a lot of times is that, going back to the idea of power in numbers, right? People rely on that and they start to think, well, hey, you know what? I don't really have to take care of myself too much because my buddy on my left, my buddy on my right, my buddy in front of me, my buddy behind me like they got my back. Like I don't really need to worry about it. Like I'm in the middle of this formation. You know, if someone attacks me, like it'll be pretty tough for them to actually get to me, right? Because they'll have to go through my brothers. But the problem with that, the problem with thinking just in terms of power of numbers is that we forget that if we don't maintain our ship, if we don't continue to be unified with Christ and take power from him, then we're going to start like, we're, we're going to look like a rusted hulk. You know, we're going to start veering off, like our guns are going to rust, you know, like our powder is going to get wet and nasty. I mean, it's just going to be bad, you know, and eventually it's going to show in the entire formation, right? If, if, one, if one battleship gets out of formation, it, it may not be a big deal, you know, like they may just veer off. But they could veer off and run into somebody, and wreck somebody else's faith, wreck somebody else's ship, wreck somebody else's path. So it's important. It's important again. I mean, I'm I'm trying to hammer this home. If you didn't didn't know this, but it's important to be unify with Christ to take care of yourself, right? Now, again, like I said about Ecclesiastes, this is not rocket science. This is not some great revelation that was given to me on a mountain. You know, I mean. I don't know, I'm just repeating what the ancients have told us time and time again. And it's something that I forget time and time again. You know, we're talking about going back to the basics. Back to the basics. Back to simply loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, if that isn't unity, I don't know what is. Right? That is the greatest commandment. And only if you fulfill the greatest commandment, in my opinion, can you actually start fulfilling the second greatest commandment, right? Which is loving your neighbor. Because if you skip the first commandment, you're not gonna be very effective. And you're actually, in my opinion, gonna damage your neighbor. You can't love them effectively if you don't know what love is. And what is love? God is love. You have to be united with Christ. You have to have that power in order to actually minister and to be united with other believers. All right? I'm gonna end with this example. Talking about going back to the basics, all right? So, growing up in Kentucky, we didn't have any professional sports teams, though you could argue that the Kentucky Wildcats are the best basketball team ever in the entire world, all right? And I will argue that, and anybody who argues against that is wrong, especially if someone says Duke, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we are not friends, all right? I have a shirt that says I still hate Leitner." Right? I don't know if you guys know who that is, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but the point is, is that Kentucky has no professional sports teams, right? I mean, I'm a huge Wildcat fan, but that's only a, you know, a certain part of the year. So I, you know, when I moved to San Diego, oh, sweet. You know, we got the Padres and we got the Chargers, right? And yes, <laughs> the Padres are not exactly the best, right? They did pretty well last year. And the Chargers just always disappoint me in the playoffs. But I love them. You know, they're, they're my team. Now, uh, when I moved to San Diego, Tony Gwynn was still playing with the Padres. I don't know if many of you know who Tony Gwynn is. There you go. Yeah. So Tony Gwynn, I think now he's actually the San Diego State head bas- uh, baseball coach. But he is, uh, he is he's a Hall of Famer, right? He is one of the best left-hand hitters of all time, right? Usually it goes Ted Williams, Tony Gwynn, right? This guy retired with a three thirty eight career batting average. We're talking... Just the best, right? And he actually, um, on his shoes, <laughs> on his shoes he, uh, he had the number 5.5 on his shoes, okay? So the um, third base is considered position number six, and shortstop is considered position number five. And the reason he had 5.5 on his shoes was because he could hit the ball in between five and six every time. That was just his bread and butter. You know, which is weird because as a left-hand hitter, you know, a lot of people do like the pull shifts on the, I don't know if you guys know who these people are, but like David Ortiz, you know, like their shortstop plays behind second base on the right field side. You know, it's really weird. Barry Bonds, they used to shift for him too. So anyways, as a left-hand hitter, it was amazing to see Tony Gwynn just use the opposite field, not just use it, abuse it, you know? So always through the 5.5 hole. Now, the reason I tell you this is because before every game, Tony Gwynn would hit hundred balls off a tee. All right, so here we are, a 338 career lifetime batting average hitter. All right, a Hall of Famer, one of the one of the best pure hitters the game has ever seen. And he's before every game, he's playing tee ball. Right, before every game, he's doing something that I did when I was five, and I suck at baseball. <laughs> I'm horrible. You know? And so I'm thinking to myself, why the heck is Tony Gwynn hitting 100 balls off a tee? Shouldn't he be like taking batting practice at like 90 miles an hour to like get him, you know, to get better, to challenge himself? Well, see, the point is, is that Tony Gwynn realized that the fundamentals were important. He realized that he had to go back to the basics if he wanted to be the best, right? We, we have to go back to the basics. We have to understand that the power of unity first derives from the power of Christ, right? And we have to understand that and we have to, we have to live that. And we, and like Greg was saying, like we have to be in the word, we have to be praying, we have to do all those things, just the basic things that as a mature Christian, we sometimes forget about. I forget about all the time, you know? And I constantly have to remind myself, you know what? It's, it's not good if you just skip out on daily reading your Bible, For me, at least. I mean, I'm not going to say anything about you guys, but I would recommend that you daily read your Bible. So you're daily in connection with God. So we can get back to the basics and then eventually we can understand what it's like to be uh, unified with Christ. So we understand the fundamentals and so we can have that power. All right, I'm going to invite the worship band up and then pray and we'll get going the rest of the day. dear Lord i uh, I just want to pray right now that, uh, that those of us that are, that are here this weekend can really um, can really seek after you with, with open arms and, and open hearts, um, whatever fears whatever reservations that we had coming in this weekend i I pray that you can take away from us um, and protect us from from that from that day of evil you know protect us from those authorities against the rulers. Uh, the powers of uh, of this dark world, Lord. If any of that is happening now, I, I pray that you just protect us and take it away. And watch over us as this retreat continues on. And help us understand the power of unity that, that comes from you. The power of unity that we get from from being as one, as, as Christian in Christ together. And then I pray that we can we can help our brothers and sisters. We can, once we learn to love you fully, then we can learn to love them. So whatever stage we're in, be it, be it in the initial basic stages or, or just, you know, we're, we're mature Christians that have done this for years on end. I, I, pray that you, I pray that you continually, continually give us that longing for the basis. Give us that longing for the fundamentals for that childlike faith of realizing that, hey, I need Christ. Like I need him so much and I can't live without him. So again, just pray a blessing on this weekend and just the the glorious power that you've shown so far. It's in your name I pray, amen.